We thank you, God, that you have called us, your sons and your daughters. And you have given us a kingdom vision. You've given us a vision of what it looks like when men and women work side by side. When people who are from Korea sit down with people who are from Ghana and have a conversation about life. You've given us a vision of what it looks like when people who are in the dominant culture, wherever they are, act and advocate on behalf of those who don't have a voice. You've given us a vision of what it looks like when the people who have power act on behalf of those who don't. You gave us this vision most clearly in your son, Jesus Christ who was always acting on behalf of people who were in need of hope. And so we pray for Unlearn Week. We pray over all the plans that are happening, all the speakers who are preparing their thoughts, gathering things to say. Lord, we pray your protection over this conversation. We need it. We need it. This is an area that's so easy to just ignore and just live among our own kind, the people who speak our language and understand our humor and cook our food. And Lord, this is a week where we need to be stretched. And so gently stretch us, Holy Spirit, so that we will listen and learn well. Help us to ask good questions, to go out of our way, to leave our dorm room and go to that play, go to that lecture to go and listen and learn. So Lord, it's all for your kingdom this week. And we pray for Calvin College that this will be a place where good conversations can happen, where places, uh, safe places can exist. We pray that for everybody who needs a safe place. And maybe they need a place where they can talk about an eating disorder, or they need a place where they can talk about their perfectionism, a place where they can talk about their own disappointment that they got cut from the team. Lord, help us to be safe people. It's easy to wear a mask. It's easy to pretend. And Lord, we don't want to be that kind of place. Because that doesn't lead to growth. That doesn't lead to honesty. That doesn't lead to virtue. That doesn't lead to the kingdom. So, Lord, give us the courage to speak well and listen well to each other. And we pray that for the leaders of this country. We pray that for our leaders, that they will talk and listen well to each other. Lord, we are so aware of the brokenness that is all around in human government. And you so wisely teach us in the Psalms, don't put your trust in human beings. Don't put your trust in princes. Put your trust in me. And so, Lord, whether we are citizens of the United States or citizens of Ghana, Syria, Korea, Egypt, Israel, we need to put our trust in you. And so help us to do that as citizens, who are citizens not first of all of any particular country, but citizens of the city of God. And God, we thank you that in this place we can bring our joys and requests, 
We are glad that our brother Paul Bursma is back with us after a week of surgery and infection. What a good thing that he's here. We thank you that others in our midst have experienced success this week with athletic contests and concerts and grades on papers and projects that honestly were better than they deserved. What a good thing that is. So thank you for these moments of celebration when we can be with friends and enjoy art and enjoy food and movies and laughter. These are good gifts from you. And we thank you that we can gather and worship and we sing loud and pour it out and be reminded of what is most important is not our GPA, but our identity in Jesus Christ. And so help us to cling to that. And Lord, as we open your word tonight, we pray that that you use this old, old story to shape us afresh. Just split us down the middle if that's what we need tonight so that you can get in and clean us out and do the work that you need to do. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and all God's people say, Amen. So we're up to Exodus 12. Exodus 12. It's in the front of the Bible. Exodus is the second book. We're telling the story of a people who have been enslaved. Moses has come. He's trying to get them to be free. He's had long conversations with Pharaoh that have done not a lot. We learned last week about the plagues and the battle that was taking place. So this week we hear about the last plague. We're going to read Exodus 12, the first 13 verses, and then skip down to 21. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month for you shall mark the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month, They are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of persons who eat it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with its head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. That's how you shall eat it. With your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it hurriedly. It's the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see blood, I will pass over you. No plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And then 21. 
Then Moses called all the elders of Israel together and said to them, Go, select lambs for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two board doorposts with the blood in the basin. None of you shall go outside your door until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike down the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over that door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you down. You shall observe this right as a perpetual ordinance for you and your children. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he's promised, you shall keep this observance. And when your children ask you, what do you mean by this observance? You shall say it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites went and did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud cry in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron in the night and said, Rise up, go away from my people, both you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you said and be gone and bring a blessing on me too. The Egyptians urged the people to hasten their departure from the land for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls wrapped up in cloaks on their shoulders. The Israelites had done as Moses had told them. They'd asked the Egyptians for jewelry of silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor inside of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. And so they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides children. A mixed crowd also went up with them, and livestock in great numbers with flocks and herds. They baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt. It was not leavened, because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the Israelites had lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the companies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. That was for the Lord a night of vigil to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That same night is a vigil to be kept for the Lord by the Israelites throughout all their generations. This is the word of the Lord. When I was very early in ministry, I received a call that one of my parishioners was in the hospital. And I was eager to see her because I was a new pastor, and this is what pastors did. They went to the hospital to see people. And this was a parishioner I was just getting to know. She was sharp. She spoke her mind. She could be funny. She was 89 years old. And I really liked her. I was eager to get to know her more. 
And I knew that visiting senior members of the church was often a really great experience because they could tell you the history of the church and who came from who and who was related to who, and that was very important information. And they could tell you their own story of faith and how God had been faithful. And these were really often very rich conversations. And so I walked into her hospital room, and her daughter was sitting in a chair at the foot of her bed, and her daughter said, oh, you're, you're here, so... So I'll go, and I'll just go get something from the cafeteria. And I said, oh, great, I can, I can stay with your mom, no problem. And I looked over at my friend, whom I'll call Helen. She was lying in the bed. Her condition was serious, but it wasn't critical. But when you're 89, anything can turn critical very quickly. And I could tell from the look on her face that she had something heavy on her heart. So I walked over to her and I greeted her. And without any small talk, she said to me, is it true? And I thought, what is true? I didn't know if the doctor had given her some heavy diagnosis. I didn't know if she'd heard something from somebody else. So I went next to the bed and I took her hand and I said, what, Helen, is, is what true? And with tears welling up in the corners of her eyes, she said, forgiveness. Is forgiveness true? And I thought, you're 89 years old. You've heard a hundred sermons on forgiveness. You could quote the Bible back to me. If you don't know forgiveness is true, And I said, tell me, tell me why you're asking. And the tears began to drip down her wrinkled face. And she said, I have done so many things in my life that I'm so ashamed of. She said, in my 20s, in my 20s, I did some horrible things. was asking the question because death was drawing close. It wasn't imminent, but it was close. And she knew that sin would go with her if she didn't get it taken care of. She knew that the things that she had done in her life needed something. And she couldn't do it. Death was coming close. And what I saw in her eyes was fear. Because when you worship a holy God and you grow up in a church that tells you that God is holy and powerful and mighty, and not somebody who tolerates sin. When you grow up in a church that teaches you about the reality of hell and damnation, 
when you're laying there at 89 in a hospital bed, feeling vulnerable, you realize the depth of your sin and your need for something. When death swirls close, you look hard at what matters most. And it's tempting for us who aren't 89 to think we've got a little time for that. And that's just what the enemy would like. He's been deceiving people about sin for a long time. And yet, do we want to be 89 thinking about what we did in our 20s? That time when your roommate said, hey, what are you doing tonight? And you said, I'm going to go to the library. And the truth of it is, you were going to go hang out with some friends and you were going to go out, but you didn't tell her that because you didn't want her to go with you. Sin. You walk into class on the first day and you realize that the person who is teaching the class is not a native English speaker. And the first thing you think is, oh, great. I have to suffer through an entire semester of listening to somebody who can't even speak my language. Sin. Dated somebody for a long time. And beginning to give her pressure, look, if you really love me, if you really care for me, you would do these things with me, because that's what girlfriends do. Sin. You're overwhelmed by the amount that you have to accomplish. And the way you respond when things get stressful is to add more control to your life. So you begin to control everything you eat right down to the last calorie, every moment that you exercise right down to the last second. You control it all because you're pretty sure that if you can control everything, then nothing will hurt you again. Sin. You walk through Johnny's and you see a certain group of people who are always sitting together and they all look alike, and they all speak the same language, and you walk by and you think things about them that you would never say out loud. Sin. You read Calvin Crushes, and you're looking for two things. Did anybody mention me? And I can't believe somebody said that. Don't tell me for a minute that Calvin crushes is something that brings glory to God. Sin. As soon as we spend just a bit of time digging down just a little deeper, peeling back just a few of the layers of the masks that we hide behind, we realize that all of us are trafficking in sin all the time. 
our selfishness just bursts through. Our egos just, there's no stopping them. We cope with things by drinking too much or eating too much or looking at pornography. We just traffic in the stuff. We're just overwhelmed by the stuff. And so we can easily say with my friend Helen, we can easily say in that moment, there's some stuff that I've done that I am so ashamed of. Is it true? Is it true? Is it true? We read the story from Exodus. We can imagine that the people of Israel were asking similar questions. They had seen the mighty, holy hand of God wreak havoc across their entire landscape. Nothing was as it was before. The mighty arm of God had been giving blow after blow after blow to Pharaoh and his like, to the Egyptian gods, one after the next, blow after blow after blow. And now, Moses said, here's coming the knockout punch, and you better be ready. You're going to have to take a lamb. You're going to have to take its blood. You're going to have to smear it over the doorpost. And once you've done that, stay in the house. Stay in the house because you don't want to mess because death is coming close. Death is coming close. So can you imagine these families? Can you imagine these Israelite families? Can you imagine them gathered around, all of their travel clothes on, the staff in the hand, the sandals on the feet? They're eating hurriedly. They don't know what's happening. The clock goes past midnight, and then they begin to hear cry after cry after scream after scream as the Israelites discover another baby dead, another toddler face down in the crib, another son who's been dead, another daughter who's been killed. Again and again they hear the screams all around them and they can't leave until morning. Can you imagine them clustered together holding on to their own children thinking, is it true? Is it true? Is the blood enough? Is the blood enough? Is it true? And then morning comes. And they're able to go out and their neighbors come, the Egyptians come, and they say to them, just go, go, please, please, your God is too much for us. We can't take this. Take whatever we have. Take it and go. Please go, please go. Pharaoh says it three times to Moses and Aaron. Go, get out, go on. He's done. And because he has suffered blow after blow after blow after blow, he says, would you please stop? Enough with the cursing. Could I have a blessing? And what God says to the people is, remember this. Remember this. Remember this. Year after year after year, remember this. Year after year after year, I want you to take a lamb. I want you to cut its throat. I want you to remember the blood. I want you to remember the staff in your hand and the sandals on your feet. I want you to remember how the blood of the lamb not only protected you from death, 
but was also the entree into liberation. That the blood of the Lamb not only was your guard, but also your liberator. It set you free. I want you to remember this year after year after year after year. And it was so in the ethos of the people. It was so in their stories and in their narrative about who they were as a people of God. That when one little boy grew up hearing the story again and again and again. And he felt called to call people to repent, he'd say. Repent. Get the sin out of you. Repent. Make it right. Repent. And he was so enthusiastic about calling people to holiness to say, get the sin out of your life. There are so many things you've done that you're ashamed of, but you can make it right. Repent and be baptized. And the Passover story was so in his bones that when he saw him, he just knew. And he looked and he said, behold, behold, are you looking? Behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right there, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right there. And just a couple years later, at the week of Passover, our Jesus was crucified. He died. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. He rose again from the dead. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, Hey, get the sin out of your life, people. Get the sin out of your life because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, we keep the feast because the blood of the lamb has cleansed us from all sin. The blood of the lamb liberates us. It protects us from death and it ushers us into a new life of freedom. The blood of the lamb, people, the blood of the lamb. And then the apostle John gets this vision. He gets a vision. I saw a lamb and it looked like it had been slain and everyone was gathered around the lamb and around the throne and they were saying salvation belongs to our God and to the lamb. Worthy is the lamb to receive power and honor and wisdom and glory and strength now and forever. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb. And so I held my friend's hand and I said to her, oh, Helen, it's true. It's true. Your sins are forgiven. You are made right with God because of Jesus Christ. Your sins are washed away. God doesn't even remember them anymore. Helen, my friend, you are saved by the blood of the Lamb. Your sins are washed away. They are covered over. They are not remembered anymore. Helen, it's true. It's true. It's true. And she cried. And she cried. And she cried. And a few years later, I did her funeral. And I was able to talk about somebody who had the deep peace of knowing that her sins would not go with her, that she would not have to pay for them, that they would no longer weigh her down, 
but because she had been set free of them in death. She was no longer even tempted to sin anymore because the blood of the lamb not only protected her from eternal death, it also liberated her into life. And I was able to say to her, Helen, it's true. Forgiveness is true and it's real. My brothers and sisters, it's true. It's true. It's true. The blood of Jesus Christ covers over all your sins, all of them. The stuff that you are ashamed to say out loud to any other person, the stuff that we do as a community, all of it has been covered over by the blood of the Lamb. All of it. And tonight, our God invites us to be set free. He invites us to live into a kingdom vision of safe spaces where we can say, hey, this is my sin. I'm selfish. This is my sin. I lie to my parents. This is my sin. I'm a racist. This is my sin. I'm a sexist. This is my sin. I wear a mask all the time. Nobody knows who I am. And the Holy Spirit says, great. Now we can get to work. Do you need the blood of the lamb tonight? Do you need the blood of the lamb tonight? Do you need the blood of the lamb tonight? Our Lord Jesus Christ was sacrificed for us. Our sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, our sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. You bear it no more. You bear it no more. You bear it no more. And so tonight... If you are someone who has been marked by the blood of the Lamb, if your sins have been washed away and you claim forgiveness and you say, it is true and it is mine, we invite you to come forward. We're going to have some red paint down here, and these are dark pictures. They're dark pictures of slavery in Egypt. They're dark pictures of the sins and the masks that we wear. And we invite you to come forward, take a paintbrush, and paint some red paint over those sins. Be careful. Don't splash people. Don't turn quickly. There's no rush. And maybe you want to come and kneel at the cross, or maybe you want to kneel at the pictures, or kneel where you are. But isn't tonight a night to say, I'm so glad it's true. I'm so glad it's true. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. You pray with me.
Oh, Lord, we need you. We are desperate for you. We have things like our friend Helen that we are deeply ashamed of. And so we we give them to you tonight because the blood of Jesus Christ covers over all our sins. You were crucified, died, buried, and you rose again. You conquered death and you conquered sin. Lord, we thank you that your blood is a shield against death. We thank you that your blood liberates us from sin. Help us, Lord, to live as liberated people, as people who have been set free. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you, Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Amen.